morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club Leadership Edition. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Casaglo. And today, oh man, legendary guest, KD. Multiple time 30 MPC great. He's the SVP of sales and partnerships over at Bench Accounting. And if you thought he was a good tactician, this guy is a heck of a guest for our first leadership episode ever. Mark, why should people listen? Simple, Armand, man. I felt called out in this episode. I mean, listen, when somebody comes on and they start talking about stuff that you know you should be doing, but they're phrasing it in a way that's a little bit different, a little bit new, I think that KD dispels why role plays suck. And I think he challenges you, challenged me at least, to think about how can I practice with my reps in a way that takes advantage of human behavior. The way humans work is they have neural pathways in their brain. That creates a course of common behavior, and it's really easy to follow that course all the time. What you have to do to change behavior is you have to burn a new way of thinking in the brain that that course of behavior can follow. And once you do that, that's how you create lasting and permanent change. And I think Katie talks exactly how to do that in this episode. Let's let her rip, folks. And a three, two, one, let's ride. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Alrighty, Katie, welcome to the show. We start every leadership show with your top three actionable leadership takeaways. Let's get your three. All right, first one, document the wiggle. All right, document the wiggle. And wiggle is W-G-L-L, which stands for what good looks like. Too often when I go into orgs, what good looks like lives in people's heads. They think they know what it is, but it's not documented, right? And so I talk about the three Ds when it comes to the wiggle. It has to be defined, 
documented and demonstrated, but it needs to live somewhere. What does good look like in terms of calls, sales process, negotiation, contracts, messaging, all that needs to be documented. So that's number one, document the wiggle, what good looks like. Let's go. What's number two? Number two, starting to get known for this and I don't know why, practice, practice. All right. Like I do not understand why in sales we believe you get good in the game. That is completely ass backwards. There is not another career that would let that fly. Right. Practice should be built into your reps weeks. Practice should be built into your manager's weeks. You should be inspecting whether practice is actually occurring. You get good in practice. You do not get good in the game. That's number two. Don't get good in the game. Listen to that one, folks. What's number three? Number three is to follow a leadership methodology, right? And so there's all these sales methodologies, challenger, medic, med pick, spin, spiced, value-based. There's all these sales methodologies. You need a leadership methodology. So I created one and it's called Bipsy. Every leadership thing that you are trying to solve falls into Bipsy in some way. B is behavior, right? Are the reps doing the right things? I is the individual. One is the individual in a good place, right? How are they feeling? How are they doing? But also, is it the right individual? Are they missing a certain characteristic required for the role? P stands for process, right? Is it documented? Are there trainings? Can we point to it? Has it been measured? What do we do to enable that process? S is skill. Are they good at it? Are they actually good at the things they need to be good at? And then why is you as the leader? Have you been checking in? Have you done issue diagnosis? Have you practiced with them? Have you inspected what you expect? Have you been giving them recognition, right? You cannot fix results. Results are in the past. You can only fix what's causing them. Bipsy is the cause of the results. And that's where you have to focus as a leader. That's where you have to ask questions. And that's where you actually drive change. Number three. Love it. Well, Bipsy Bopsy Boo sounds like a Walt Disney movie, brother. One thing that you said that I love is I think that process makes you great, but documentation makes you legendary. Mm. I think documentation is so overlooked. Like, tell me why, if it's so important, so few people do it. How, how, how did you figure out for yourself it's so important? Well, what's funny is if you think about the characteristics of a lot of salespeople, we're not exactly known for great documentation. We're not exactly known for loving of writing things down in the CRM. We're not exactly known to be those types of individuals. So then a lot of us as reps become leaders who become leaders who become leaders. And it's just never been ingrained in us. Whereas the, the book that truly, I mean, it changed my leadership life was The Checklist Manifesto. Mm. Because what it talks about in that book, and this is written by a surgeon, by the way, not a business leader, not a salesperson, it's written by a surgeon. And it talks about, right, like when they implemented checklists into hospitals, death rates went down, infection rates went down, time in hospital went down, patient satisfaction went up, burnout went down, like all these things for doctors, right? Anyone listening, you've taken a flight recently, your pilot went through a checklist to do the right things. And so I think it's something that we just don't think about enough in sales is like when it's documented, that's what makes it a process. If it's not documented, there is no process to follow. And so too much of it lives in our heads as leaders, where it's just up there. We have a checklist. I guarantee you have a checklist for everything I just said. It just lives in your head. It's not down somewhere for people to look at. That's that it's so valuable. It's so important. How, how do you find time? I mean, it takes time to write it down. It takes time to get it out. Like who does it? So, and this is where I'll, I'll challenge any leader listening. No, it doesn't. 
Mm. No, it does not. Why? We can do this live. Mark, I have a rep who has a lower deal size than ideal. What are the top five, six things you would look for? They have a lower deal size, right? Their close rate's fine. Everything looks good. But for whatever reason, their deal sizes are lower. What are the five, six things you'd look for? Yeah, I would look for one, like, are they asking good discovery questions and getting the big problem? Or are they solving small problems? Okay. Number two, are they asking for a lot of money or are they asking for a little bit of money, right? Yeah. No, blah, blah, blah. Four other things I could come up with pretty easy. Okay. Real quick, you would have had that done in 90 seconds. Hmm. This does not take a long time because the checklist exists. The problem is, right, that exists maybe in the CRO's head or the VP's head or even in the manager's head. But when it's not documented, no one else can use it. This actually doesn't take that much time because we are running these plays, right? You know, Mark, you and I are good friends. You know my style at this point. It's on a Google Doc. So I'm not <laughs> using any fancy tool or BI, AI. It's in a Google Doc. Someone's struggling with X, here's the checklist to look for. This does not take that much time to do. People just don't block the time to do it. Love that. So this is a classic, classic excuse of a sales leader who wants to throw all these trainers at the problem, all these enablement people at the problem. And the reality is oftentimes the simplest solution is break any sales process into the three steps of a sales call. So a discovery call is an agenda, it's the discovery questions, and it's the next steps. And then break down each of those portions into three steps as well, right? Mm -hmm. For example, your agenda might be purpose, plan, outcome. And literally, I would just have nine bullet checklists for the reps anywhere they needed to go. And it was in like a bunch of Google Docs. Mm -hmm. And so KD for you, if I'm building my minimum viable enablement or training plan for my team, what are the basic checklists that you know your org needs to have? So this is actually where it comes back to to Bipsy a bit, right? Is if I the way I go about it is I look at my results and I break that down into the key metrics, right? I talk about results hardly ever with my team. Like hardly ever, right? I got a dashboard for the results. We're at a million dollars. Whoop de doo. We're talking about the metrics that are leading to them, right? And then for each of those metrics, this is where I'm looking at, okay, what are the behaviors attached to this metric? So for example, let's take one simple, like making more like calls, activity. Well, what are the things in a rep's control that if they did would lead to more activity, behavior in their control? I'm going to document that. Well, calendar blocking, uploading lists into whatever platform we're using, getting numbers right. Like what are those behaviors? I'm documenting the behaviors attached to that metric. Individual. What are the characteristics needed for someone to do this well? Process. Where do they go to find it? Where are those recordings? Where are those best practices? Skills. What are the skills necessary to improve close rate? What are the skills necessary to improve a, a connect rate? And then you, what do I need to be doing? That's what I'm documenting for a lot of the key metrics. And then once that's documented, it's very clear on what to practice, what to focus on, right? So at the end of every single month, every single one of my managers puts a BIPSI report together for their individuals. What's the number one metric you're focused on for the rep? What's the BIPSI analysis? Is it behavioral? They're just not doing it the right way. And they know what that is because it's documented. But like you need to have your calls documented in terms of scorecards. You need your deal management documented in terms of what to look for. And all this stuff, y'all, lives outside of whatever sales methodology you're following. Like I can check the boxes on Medic all day. It doesn't mean I'm managing a deal properly. Mm. It's funny. 
We expect our reps to practice, but how often does a manager practice the inspection part? I remember when I was at Outreach, every quarter I'd make every manager submit to me a recorded call of them doing deal review. And then I'd have a group film session where I'd coach every manager on how to do their one-on-one deal reviews more effectively. Huge, hugely powerful for them. And it taught them, how do I look at what I do in the same way that I look at how a rep runs a cold call or a discovery call or in a negotiations, you have to have that same mindset as you move up, maybe more so. Yeah, I was just going to say like that, you know, I get asked a lot, like the difference between being a manager and then managing managers. And what I actually tell people is it's actually not that different. Everything you expect your managers to do for their reps, you do for your managers. So if you expect your managers <laughs> to be reviewing calls, well, if you're managing managers, you need to be reviewing manager calls. If you expect your managers to be practicing with your reps, then you need to be practicing with your managers. It's like, it's the same thing. We just don't, no one enables their managers around these things. Right. And so that's the focus. I practice calls with my managers. I practice inspections. Hey, Mark, look at this dashboard. What do you see? Mm -hmm. What do you see? What jumps out to you here? What is the number one metric? Okay, for this rep, it's connect rate. Nice, nailed it. How did you know? This no. Okay, cool. Next slide. That's the number one metric. Can you spot it? Right? Like it's the same thing. You can create the exact same scenarios. I'm a disgruntled rep. I haven't been hitting my activity. I've misquoted two quarters in a row. We're going to have a conversation. I'm getting my activity up. Oh, let's go. Let's go. Right? It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. Mm. So Katie, it sounds like what you're doing is you're starting at the metrics level. And so the difference between a metrics-driven manager and a dashboard manager is a metrics-driven manager is using the metrics to figure out where they should spend their time in coaching the rep. So you have all these different metrics and you're like, all these other ones are good. They're just noise. There's no point in doing cold call reviews if your connect rates are great and your close rates on your cold calls are perfect, but your discovery calls are like brutal because of this metric, then you zone in there, right? And then you're going into practice sessions based on a checklist probably targeted at that metric as well. Earlier in the prep, you talked about the do's and do nots of a practice session and how a lot of people are just doing these horrible role plays. And frankly, I've oftentimes had a hard time convincing my team that they need to do practice, especially once they get into mid-market and they think they all have it figured out. So what are the marquees of a good practice session and how do you get your team on board with those things? So I'm going to work backwards actually from the how you get them on board and then we'll talk about how to to do it because back to your point around being a metric-based leader, you should only be practicing the things that you have pointed out are affecting a metric. So for example, someone's low on revenue, which metric is low? Okay, it's their close rate. Okay, this is now where we go into inspection because this is where it makes practice non-debatable. Mark, your close rate's 13%. Is that where we want it? No. Okay, first step. I have agreement that the status quo is not acceptable. We're at 13%. I've gone in. I've listened to your calls. The negotiation is strong. You actually run a really good demo. But what seems to be missing from the demo is connecting the dots to a problem. Where do we find the problem at? Discovery. Could we work on your discovery so we can get a better job of grabbing that problem so your demos get better? Quick pause real quick. What does this sound a lot like, by the way? Is anyone catching this? What am I doing right now with the rep? Sounds like you're almost doing a diagnosis like what you do in a discovery call. Like where is their revenue leakage coming from? I always want to call this out 
because there's this raw, raw thing that gets said a lot. Like your best rep doesn't make your best manager. And everyone's like, yeah, I knew it. See, I told you. And it gets everyone fired up. What's actually hilarious about that is, you know, why a lot of top reps don't make great managers it's actually because they stopped doing the very things that made them a great rep. They mm-hmm. stopped doing disco with their rep. They stopped objection handling with their reps. They stopped diagnosing with their reps. They stopped selling their reps. They stopped closing their reps. It's actually the exact same thing. We just stop doing it. So I'm doing the diagnosis, the discovery, and selling and closing on improvement. Notice I didn't close on practice yet. I closed on, so we got to get better at this, right? Yes. So now they have a reason to practice, first of all, as we're trying to fix something. And now we get to the next layer of like, we're only working on that thing, right? So when it comes to practice, you didn't practice a wrestling match. You practice a double leg and a single leg, right? You you practice the skills. It's the same thing when it comes to selling. So now we're narrowing it down. We're not practicing the call. We're practicing discovery, first of all, and we're practicing what's missing in discovery. So we're chunking it down to the actual skill we need to improve on. Maybe it's setting the agenda. Maybe it's the upfront agreement. Maybe we're not asking the pain question. We're practicing pain questions. We're not even practicing discovery, right? So we've nailed it down to the skill and drill. And what this is going to allow for now is repetition. Because most people listening right now, when you do a role play session, how many repetitions does the rep normally get in a role play? Especially when you do the full call. One. They get one. Okay. (laughs) First of all, could I do that? Could I go practice a wrestling match once, Armand, and then be better if I just practice (laughs) a match? Negative. Negative. I would die. But then secondarily, here's where it's even more depressing to me, y'all. They get one repetition. How many repetitions do they get with your feedback? None. None if you didn't do a repeat. Leaders, I'm talking to your souls right now. Awareness does not improve skill. If that's Mm. all it took, man, I've been watching professional football my whole life. I'm pretty aware (laughs) of how to be a quarterback. I'm pretty aware of how to be a point guard. Awareness does not improve skill. It only improves awareness. So we have to do the chunk repetition, right? So we'll do that, like, say like, you know, a pain question. So Mark, what are some pain questions that we should be asking? My first discovery question on pain is what I call a visual context question is, hey, KD, you just walked into the office and your boss asked you to have a meeting. You go in there, all the executives are sitting there. He walks in, he writes two numbers on the whiteboard with a red Sharpie, and then he breaks the Sharpie on his way out and says, fix it. What are the two numbers he wrote on the board? Love this, right? Now, Mark could probably deliver that question just smooth because that's his question. Whereas I'm a rep, I may not be able to deliver as smooth as he just did because I'm just starting to learn it. So what are we about to practice right now? That question, right? So I'm going to do it. Mark's going to give me feedback. And leaders, it's the next important part is you chunk the skill, but you have to chunk your feedback. One piece of call it negative or constructive feedback. One, not five, not three, one. And it sounds like this. Mark, okay, that was great. Your tone was on. Delivery was nice and smooth. You kept that cadence where we want it to be. I liked it. I'd like you to end it with an open end instead of a close end. Let's end it with an open end. That's it. 
one piece. Now, what do you think Mark's going to be able to do on that next repetition? I gave him literally one thing to focus on. What is he about to do in that repetition? Any guesses? Make that one tweak. He's going to make that tweak, which is going to allow me to say what to him at the end of it. Good job. He does it again well. What am I going to say? You're getting there. You're getting it again? Hell yeah. You're getting it. Let's do it one more time. And this time, make it your own. Mm. Ah. Does it one more time. Adds that little flair to it. Okay, Mark nailed it. You've got this. Now let's add the follow-on question. I'm going to answer it, but I'm going to answer it kind of weak. I'm going to be like, well, revenue. And I want you to dig in on what that means. Here we go. Now, real quick, y'all, we're doing this live. You know how many repetitions I can get done in a 20-minute session like this? A lot. I'm getting 10, 15 repetitions in on this, 10 on the low end with true repetitions, true positive feedback, and true skill development. So now, how does Mark feeling ending this role play? We just spent 10, 15 minutes on it. He's gotten it down four or five times. He's put his version on it. He's getting a lot of positive reinforcement. How does Mark leave feeling this practice session? Let's go. Good. Whereas normally people leave practice sessions beat up, right? You got 10 pieces of feedback, most of it being constructive criticism of like, you got to fix this, you got to fix this. Of course that sucks. So chunked down to the skills and drills specific to what they're working on, high repetition with positive feedback. And then the last tip on the practice is let your reps know what you're going to be practicing. That's the other big part of this is too often managers and leaders, you're running a role play session like a scrimmage. You're running to see if they can do it. That's not practice. That's measurement. Practice is about getting someone better. Let them know what you're going to be practicing. So right now, my team literally is practicing daily, and I'm not exaggerating, daily, 10 to 15 minutes a day, every day, practicing. Leaders, your team has 10, 15 minutes a day. I promise you right now, it's there, okay? 10, 15 minutes a day, but as a team matures, you're practicing two, three times a week, even one time a week. Practice sessions are on Thursdays. It's almost universal across my arts. Practice on Thursdays. When do you think they find out what they're practicing? At the end of the previous session or at the latest, Monday. Hey, Mark, based off last week, we're going to be focusing on disco again. You were nailing that pain question. We're going to move to impact this week. So come ready with an account that you're targeting that we can make the scenario around. I let Mm -hmm. them know what they're practicing. What does that allow for? Preparation. Prep. Prep. They can prepare for the practice. Too often managers and leaders are using practice as a test. That is not what practice is for. Practice is to make someone better. It's not to test them. That's testing. (laughs) That's certification, right? That's the scrimmage. That's not what practice is. I'm letting you know ahead of time. I'm letting you know ahead of time what we're going to do to let you prepare for it, be ready for it so you can nail it. And I remember when I was really struggling with cold calling, the first thing I did is I put on my headsets and I walked around the streets of San Francisco and I just repeated my opener to myself a million times. Mm. And one of the first SDRs that I ever hired, she was pretty stiff in tone, especially on her opener. And to this day, she's now a director of SDR. She loves sales development. She crushed it. I sat her down for 20 minutes straight and had her repeat her opener to me over and over and over again. And she's like, to this day, I do that with my reps because of how much it helped. And it was just one piece of the drill to that point. We called it the 2 a.m. test. 
I should be able to hit you up two o'clock in the morning, Saturday, doesn't matter how many Red Bull vodkas you've thrown back at that point in time and say, what's the opener or how do you handle the suggestion? And you should be able to just nail that. And this comes back to one of my earlier points. What good looks like needs to be documented. What are the best openers? Doesn't have to be one. What are the best openers? What are the best ways to handle the pricing objection? What are the best ways to ask for the business at the end? That needs to be documented so that reps can get that repetition in. So when we think about the role of a manager here, I can already hear some of the excuses and the complaints where they're like, I've got my one-on-one, which is basically a useless meeting where I let my rep fill out the agenda. And then I've got my pipeline review where I ask them what's going on with all these opportunities and ask them for a forecast. And I don't know if I have time for more meetings. And so when you're coaching your managers, how do they come up with a rhythm or a cadence with their team to build this in? Well, and this is where I'm going to yell at the CROs, the SVPs, the heads of sales, whoever's managing these managers, because if that is ever the manager's excuse, that is the leaders of leaders fault, in my opinion. Mm. It means you haven't helped them prioritize where they're supposed to be spending time, right? So I'm a big believer in the 80-20 rule. I'm sure everyone listening understands, right? Like 80% of your actions comes from 20% of your behaviors. What are those things you think for a manager, right? If a manager's job is to improve rep performance, which by the way, that's how I define a manager's job is to improve rep performance, not hit a number, improve rep performance. What are those core things you think are the core things that if a manager spent time on these four to five things would lead to an improvement in rep performance? Coaching and practice, metric awareness, okay? Close rate's bad. How do you know what to focus on with close rate? That's where call reviews come in. By the way, y'all, real quick, the only reason you listen to calls is to know what you practice. Mm. That's why, like, why did you watch game film in high school and college? It was to know what you needed to practice, right? That's all you're listening for in call reviews is what do they need to practice? So imagine, imagine a world if a manager built their calendar around one-on-ones, practice, inspection, right? And call reviews. If that represented 80% of their time, what do you think would happen to that team? Notice how I did not say being on calls and being on deals, because to me, that is doing a rep's job. That is not doing what they, now, is there a place for a manager to step in on a call? Of course, for anyone who loses their minds, of course, there's places (laughs) I manage to step in, a VP can step in. But that is not actually making people better. That is doing it for them. If I'm struggling with something, I call up Mark and Mark's like, all right, I got this. And Mark comes in and does it. Again, did I get better because Mark did the thing? No. In fact, if anything, it just taught me when I need help with this, I call in Mark. So if the managers don't have time for this, to me, that's the leaders of leaders fault. Because if they're so busy with other, what is more important than making a rep better? Nothing. Period. That is the truth. That's where their their time should be spent, right? But then also, too, to save time, I've mentioned this previously, once you know what a rep has to get better at, you're practicing it with them. Guess what I don't need to do until they can do it in practice? If I know all I'm working on with Armand is how to improve the discovery, pain question, impact question in the second layer, until he can do that in practice, I don't need to listen to the calls. Like, I, if you can't do it with me in practice, I don't have to listen to another call yep. until... You're doing it with me in practice. And the takeaway, I left this off. When you end a practice, you always ask the individual to send you in a call of them doing it. Mark, that was great. Send me in the next call where you nail this pain question in the red marker example. Send me in your next one. I can't wait to hear it. Yep. I want the good example to share. 
right? Not where you missed it, where the good is. So managers of managers, it's your job to sit down with your managers and make sure they are spending time in the right places. I am a monster when it comes to meetings. I'm constantly looking at my calendar and my manager's calendars to be sure that they are not caught up in meetings that they should not be in. So if if I'm a manager and I'm sitting and feeling this accountability challenge come on me and I'm like, I want to rise to it. Like what's what's one or two things I can do like today by the end of this podcast that can help me start to feel better about what I'm doing and taking on my own challenge of making my reps better? If I'm giving like one big one, it's it truly is starting to get the checklist out of your head. Mm. Start getting the what good looks like out of your your head and on paper because once it's there, everyone can use it, right? So you have a one-on-one coming up with a rep. You can say, hey, Mark, was listening to some of your calls. I want you to listen to three of your calls and run it through the disco scorecard so when we come together, we can talk about where we think we need to work right? Because if that's not documented, when you just ask the rep, like, where do you think you need to get better? You're not going to get anything, right? Mm -hmm. You're operating with an invisible scorecard and that's not fair. So like, that's the first place as I'd recommend is get the what good looks like out of your head and on paper. And if anyone's just like, well, we already have a sales playbook, you know, well, that probably no one's following said playbook, (laughs) that the checklist in your head might be different than that playbook. Get it out of your head, get it down on paper. That'd be the first like super actionable. The second would be revamp your calendar to revolve around rep improvement, Mm. revolve around rep improvement. You should be spending the majority of your time there, not the minority of your time there. And this comes together, right? If anything, third actionable, you can't do it because you're too busy. Send this podcast to your leader. Send this podcast to your leader so they can hear it from someone else to say, this is where a manager's time should be spent. The last tip I'll give is that issue diagnosis. Is it behavioral? They're just not doing the right things. Is the individual okay? Do we not have a good process, skill? Are they just not good at it? And have you been doing the right things as a leader? So I'm curious for both you, Mark and KD, you guys have run reasonably sized revenue organizations. And there's a point where you yourself are probably not involved in the day-to-day coaching of the reps. And also you might not be deeply involved in all of the action of all the different products and all of these checklists that you need to build. I remember there was one time one of my senior reps was like, ah, Armand, you're a little bit out of touch on our product. I can see. I was like, you're right. Where are you spending your time to make sure that this scales from five reps to 10 reps to 50 reps and beyond? I work with my team on these things, right? These are my favorite on-site or off-site exercises. These are the things that we review quarterly. So quarterly, my managers have what's called scaling greatness. So I assign a metric and your job is to go study the best at that metric. Can you find out what it is they are doing differently, aka what good looks like? Every quarter, we are diagnosing the good. Where do you think that goes? When I look at Julia and Julia has a higher ACV than everybody on the team and Jess is assigned to Julia and he goes and listens and goes, wow, she presents pricing totally different than everybody else. She presents it as a package, not as a line item. What do you think we're about to do? Update the checklist, train the team. This is what we're practicing. This is how you scale an org. This is how you scale greatness is by the documentation of it is what allows, like I, I it was either in the intro or we went through. Y'all, y'all could walk into my team right now and coach my reps the way I would coach my reps. How you think? You, li- you literally could walk in and coach them damn near the same way I would because it's documented. Yeah. 
so am I not involved in that coaching? <laughs> am I more involved in coaching because it's documented? People listening, this does not take nearly as long as you think it does. And there is nothing that I think is more impactful than having documented what good looks like because you have it already. I could sit down with either one of you and say, Mark, what does a good disco call sound like? And you, you could rattle that off. You could rattle that off. There it is. And then you bring that to your managers and go, what's missing? And they add it in. Then you pull in your top performers and you compare your what good looks like to what actually good looks like. What's missing? What's there? What you can remove? You, one quarter. One quarter. You could have this completely done for an entire org. And that's what allows you to scale. There's nothing more frustrating as a rep for, for you to know that your leader knows what they want, but they haven't shown you what they want, and yet they're holding you accountable to it. Mm-hmm. And I think every leader listening to this podcast can uh, connect to the fact that, well, I knew what they should be doing. Why aren't they doing it? And I think that you've just connected those dots, Katie, is you're not documenting it and you're not practicing it. Right. Therefore, when you go to your executive team or your board and you're like, I thought we implemented this new thing two quarters ago. Why is it not affecting things? And you can rattle off exactly how it works, but not a single rep can. This is how you bridge that gap. Katie, what a freaking way to kick off the first ever episode. We got to move to the final question. Unfortunately, I think I know the answer. So you can just be like, it's what I said earlier. But what is one thing that if every leader in the world stopped doing that thing, all sales organizations would get 10% better tomorrow? If sales leaders stopped assuming people would change for our reasons and not Mm. theirs, orgs would get better. (sighs) What I constantly say with my managers, they say it back to me. We end a lot of meetings like this way. We talk about it. It says, I am not you. You are not me. We are not them. They are not us. This is a constant reminder as a leader is that you you can't just lead people the way that you lead. You can't assume people think the way that you think. You can't assume people will work the way that you work. There's a reason why Mark has made it as far in his career. He is better and he is different. That's how it works. Expecting people to work that way, it's not the right way. Whereas if you focus on what matters to them and what they're trying to achieve, that's where it goes. So that stop assuming your people Think the way you think, work the way that you work, and even want the things that you want. If leaders stopped doing that, orgs would get better. Mm. Well, Mark is definitely different, and both of you guys are better than the rest. But Katie, this was an awesome episode. Everyone hang on for a 60-second Mark and Mondo recap coming up soon. Cheers. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes.
Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there, in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's sales email tip is brought to you by Lavender. If you want to get more replies to your sales emails, try removing exclamation points and question marks from your email subject lines. They cause open rates to plummet. Instead, make the subject line feel internal. It should be short, one to three words, and it should showcase the topic of the email, but also be about them. We sat down with Lavender and built a sales email framework guide with emails for every step of your sales process. And there is a link in the show notes to get it for free. All righty, Mark. Let's do a Mark and Mondo recap. What'd you think? Listen, I think that KD might be the most down-to-earth, like what should a manager actually do type of leader that I've ever met. And I've met a lot of leaders. Yeah. he's uh, I find that oftentimes what happens is managers or first-time managers are coming in with really, really good intentions. And they come in with all of these trainings and these coachings that they want to give to their reps because that's what they were lacking as a team. And then what happens is the slow jading of sales leaders as they become more and more, uh, they become more and more senior and they become more and more focused on things like forecasting and whatnot, that the development stops. And the question that stuck with me that KD gave to us at the end was, go ask every single guest that you have moving forward, how much time have you actually spent coaching your reps mm. and not hiring someone else to do it. And you will find that the answer is super low. Yeah, it is always going to be low. And I think that that's one of the things that we have to fix as sales leaders is, as Katie says many times in this episode, the job of sales leaders is to make somebody better. Yeah, And if you're not making somebody better, it doesn't matter if you're on calls. And the first trap of a young leader is the super rep trap. They go in and they do the stuff for the rep instead of helping the rep do it for themselves. And I think what KD does is he takes that desire to be a super rep and all that knowledge that makes you able and good to do it. And he shows you how to use practice to get your reps to do it the way that you do it without you being there. And that's what makes an unbelievable sales leader. That's right. Well, folks, if you like this one, if you were going to do one thing after this episode, please, 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 first couple episodes out of the gates, go and share what you liked about this episode over on LinkedIn and tag our good friend KD because we know he can be a little bit shy. And so sometimes you got to pull him out of the water. So make a post, tell us what you thought about the first leadership episode, tag me, Mark, KD, and we'll be sure to give you some ups and we'll catch you on the next episode. Cheers. See ya. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? 
if it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.